This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Joining us for our show today, super excited, my good friend. She's a uh, New York Times bestselling author. You know her from the Mrs. Murphy Mysteries, which there are now 24 of those, which is fantastic. You know her from all of her uh, memoirs and everything that she does. Screenwriter extraordinaire, Emmy-nominated screenwriter. Of course, I'm talking about my good friend Rita Mae Brown. And Rita Mae is going to be joining us here in a minute to uh, talk to us about her latest novel, so I'm ready to get into it with Rita, see what she has to say about the book, all of her fabulous writing, and who knows what else will come up in this conversation. So everybody, just hang tight. We're going to come back right after these commercial breaks. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Today's episode is sponsored by Hanover Square Press and the secret language of cats. How to understand your cat for a better, happier relationship. By Suzanne Schatz. Have you ever wondered what your cat is saying? In the secret language of cats, Schatz offers a crash course in cat phonics to help you crack the cat code. Perfect for the fans of the lion in the living room and the inner life of animals. The secret language of cats by Suzanne Schatz is available for purchase today. Let's talk pets on petliferadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This your host, Tim Link. I have one of my bestest buds, my all-time favorite people on the show today, author Rita Mae Brown. You know, Rita Mae is the uh, New York Times bestselling author, sold more than seven and a half million copies of her books. Uh, just, uh, I know a total of my books has a seven and a five somewhere in there, but uh, <laughs> minus a lot more zeros. <laughs> I don't know, Tim. You know what? I'm just lucky to do what I do. I, I'm grateful. But I think anyone that writes, and this is something you know as well as I do, it takes just as much work to write a bad book as a good one. Oh, yeah. I tell you, we'll get off on tangents because I know you and I like really digging into the writing aspect of things. And, and I'll admit, I'm not perfect at writing by any means, but I think I've honed my craft a, a little bit better over the years. But I just get, for instance, uh, blog writers and beat writers. I'm a huge baseball fan, and I follow my favorite Cincinnati Reds team. Uh-oh. And, and uh, yeah, God, God love us. We need all the help we can get. Uh <laughs> But not to beat up on them, but I see, I, mean, I read these articles about the trades and all the different stuff going on, and there are so many typos and so just poor grammar. And I can just see these guys and gals, you know, they have a job to do and they're just churning and burning this material, getting good material out there, but it's written so poorly that it just drives me crazy. And then when you dig into it a little bit further from, uh, uh, you know, people that are uh, uh, publishing and whether it's online or in print, uh, in hard copy, some of the stuff that's coming out, it just drives me bonkers. You know, it does me too, Tim, and I think we are really cheating our young by not demanding more of them. They can learn English. They can learn proper English. They can learn grammar. They don't have to like it, but they can learn it because to speak badly, people don't pay attention to you. They write you off as stupid. Yeah, and I do believe that's the case. You know, I've got a a great niece of mine. She's in her uh, second year now of university uh, studying uh, journalism. And she's a brilliant writer, Very whether it's uh, where she's writing fiction or where she's writing nonfiction, doing some investigation-type work. She's very thoughtful, and I think the biggest applause that I have for her is the fact that she takes her time, and she works it and reworks it and reworks it again until she has something that is good. 
and solid. And uh, nowadays, you know, in our, especially in our uh, social media environment, people just throw stuff up there and hope it sticks and then worry about it uh, getting cleaned up down the road. <laughs> right. I, I mean, both you and I had to learn it right or we would have failed. You know, mm-hmm. there was no good grade for just showing up. I mean, you had to master the material, which I think is good. But, I mean, some of the things like the book that we're going to talk about, the research I had to do, if I were in college today, I don't think I'd know how to do that research. You Google it, but it's not the same. It's not the same as sitting down with text, flipping through pages and getting ancillary material close to the material you're looking for. It broadens your whole outlook. And you walk away, yes, it's very time-consuming, but you walk away with a pretty pretty deep understanding of what you're trying to do, or, or at least what the issue is. In this case, of course, it's the pipeline. But I don't know. I mean, it's easy to pick on young people, but I don't think it's their fault. I think it's the education system. That's sort of a fact in life. You know, we learn a great deal from the our elders around us, whether it's yeah. uh, family members, friends, teachers, these key people that form how we're going to do in life and, and the structure of our life and the dedication we put into whatever we're doing. And I think you're right. But, you know, how can you blame the teachers? They're, they're stressed. They're overwhelmed. They have too many kids per uh, classroom. They're underpaid drastically. That's um, the truth. Yeah. So how can you hold them accountable? Even though it's their job, how can you hold them accountable to... to well, this uh, is what gets me. You know, all of these politicians, I mean, they're such incredible hypocrites saying, oh, the youth, you know, they're the leaders of tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. And then they don't give any money to the educational system. It doesn't matter what state it is. I mean, even New York, which used to have a fabulous educational system, California, another one, they're not so great anymore. No, no, and that's true. I, you know, I, I think from the from an education standpoint, it, it's vital. It's even more vital today to get a good education. Uh, you know, I always uh, when I tell my nieces that uh, you know before they went off to university, I told them you know that you have basically have to do that. You know, a, a bachelor's degree is like a high school diploma. You know, when I was coming up, uh, you know, that's a little scary, but it's absolutely true. Yeah. So, you know, you have to you have to do well in school. You have to get your bachelor's degree. You have to get your graduate degree. And then you hope that uh, you can keep up. So, so much for editorialism. This may or may not reflect <laughs> the views of Pet Life Radio. <laughs> so let's get into the fun stuff. Let's talk about the latest book, Homeward Hound. Uh, I want to talk a, a little bit about the characters. You're delving into the history of it. And are there some new characters in there that uh, you're bringing out that, that can excite people? Well, I'm in the middle of this book in my life, and it was a very difficult book to write. I mean, usually I have a ball writing. I mean, all this business about writers being tortured, it sure doesn't apply to me. I just love it. But I did not love this book because, well, right here in Virginia, we have the pipeline going through. But so do the states, you know, West Virginia and all this and that and other states. And it's environmentally unsound. Do we need a pipeline? I'm not sure. I suspect we do. But my fear is all of that wonderful gas is going to a port in North Carolina, put on boats that go to China. I don't think we're going to get the benefit of it. You know, we're all upset here, a lot of us. Am I against what I would say progress? Kim, if we want the lives that we are accustomed to and all the electricity we're accustomed to, we are going to do continued environmental damage. Right, right. And, okay, I accept that. I don't like it. I accept it. I mean, I accept it in the book. But can we not reduce it. Can we not think more clearly about other life forms and just things like floodplains? 
I mean, some of this pipeline in Virginia, they were real, literally going to put in floodplains. And crazy. you look at this and you think, hey, guys, that's not going to work. I, I don't need to be an engineer to know that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, and of course, there's a murder in the book. And you assume it's because someone is against the pipeline. Because the head of the company, which naturally I made up a, a name, I didn't want to use the real company, uh, is coming to Fox Hunt. And he's killed in the middle of a fox hunt, in the middle of a snowstorm. They're trying to get back to the trailers. And that's how it starts. And so you're going along thinking, well, this is about the pipeline. Well, maybe yes and maybe no. I mean, I don't want to give it away. But in the process, I'm able to bring out pretty much both sides of the story. And I'm hoping that readers will be entertained, of course, but maybe think about it a little bit. Like, what are you willing to tolerate? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I think a lot of the times we aren't fully aware of what's going on until it's almost too late to do anything about it. Oh, my God, when they spend millions of dollars on public relations, I mean, how do you get to the reality of it? I mean, truthfully, I mean, you have to dig and you have to really care. People do care, but they don't have a lot of time. So, of course, organizations get started, and we have one here, and there's a bit of one in the book, and those people dedicate themselves to it, and whatever it is, whether it's people trying to resolve epilepsy or whatever it is. I mean, they're doing us all a great favor. My experience is people are just working their asses off in plain words. Yeah, there's so much going on. I agree with that. And then plus we don't slow down enough to when we do have those times when we can get involved, research, you know, uh, get out there and block a situation or get involved in a cause. We're so busy with, we distracted by other things going on around us. Well, and I think some of that distraction is purposeful. I mean, when you turn on that television or, or turn on your computer, a lot of that is to just get you away from the real issues, get you all worked up about something emotional instead of something real. What's real? Food, clothing, shelter, and the opportunity to get an education. Your emotions may be disturbed by other events, but it's not exactly vital. Right. Yeah, so when you talk about a topic like the pipeline that's coming through, with all your, the books, at least in this series, uh, it seems like there is a hot button or a topic. Do you find that most of these are, are personal things that you're wanting to learn more about or that you're involved in that are impacting your life? Or do you find it more of hot topics that are going on or is it a combination of both? Well, some of them, of course, are happening to me like this one. But mostly I look around me and I see how people are being used. And I see the ones that are trying and doing good and this and that and working with others. I'm not pointing the finger at corporations. I mean, you can do bad and not be a member of a corporation. But when that professor in 1974 in Harvard came up with the idea that the only thing that counts is shareholder value, well, Tim, we're paying for it now. I mean, Americans are disturbed. They know they're being ripped off. They don't always know why, but they know they're being ripped off. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you mentioned that, just that topic there, because, you know, obviously we, I love talking to you in so many ways, and one of them is to get into some hearts of uh, the matter of different areas. And just at lunchtime, I was reflecting back here as we're coming into the holiday season about all these wonderful companies that started and then felt, wow, I need more money. I need to expand more, so I'm going to go public. And as soon as they go public, sooner or later, it's going to start, you know, the shareholder value is going to go down or it's not as big of a percentage as it used to be. And next thing you know, they're, they're going out of business or they're merging or they're shutting down. And to me, it's like, well, you know, what point do you decide as a corporation that you should stay private compared to going public? Well, you know, it's so funny that you bring that up because I've been thinking about that a lot. If you do something really well, 
let's just take Tiffany or Cartier, for example, because they're not vital industries, but they're exciting. The stuff is beautiful. Suppose they got bought out by Timex or what is it, LV, whatever the name of that company is that buys all the expensive goods. It would ruin them. Do what you do well and stick to it. You don't have to be big, but you have to be good. And the minute you're bigger, the responsibility individually diminishes. I mean, I think there's a true relationship between size and the willingness to accept responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I, I take a look back and it's, you know, companies like uh, Sears and Roebuck, you know, then later became just Sears, of course. But, you know, they ended up, when things were good, buying all these companies that, uh, you know, they own H&R Block at one point. They own Kmart. They own, you know, they own all these different companies that had nothing to do with their core company and core values. And then when things yeah. were bad, what were they left with? They, they had to start selling them off at pennies on the dollar. And uh, now you can, uh, if you want a craftsman tool, where you used to have to go to Sears to buy that tool because it was the best you could buy. Well, now it's maybe the best or it may not be. And you can go down to any you know two or three different places that they're selling it because they sold off the name. Yeah, they did. You know, And now I'm looking at these pet companies, and you probably are too because mm-hmm. of your show. You know, I'm waiting to see, okay, are they going to get smart and stick to what they know, or are they going to get wooed by something even bigger that has nothing to do with pet goods? Yeah, absolutely. And, and they do. I mean, you look at some of the biggest pet food manufacturers out there, they're owned by, you know, candy conglomerates. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I give my horses peppermints, so I have to give them a little bit of room there on that. <laughs> yeah. All my horses love peppermints. But, uh, Back to this book for a minute. You know, of course, it's fox hunting, and that excites me. And we just had opening hunt on Sunday, and I don't, oh, God, I don't know how many people there were. I mean, clearly over 100. But I think what excites me about the Sister Jane books is that I'm able to focus on nature, because that truly is my life, and I love it. And I know so many people aren't there anymore. I mean, they may like to watch birds. They, of course, most everybody has a pet. But we're losing our connection. Unfortunately, I don't, but here I am out in the country with, like, bad phone service, which you can hear, and this and that. And a lot of people just aren't willing to tolerate that. Yeah, but I tell you, it is night and day. It really is because we live, I wouldn't say it's in the city. We live in a suburb. That's our main house. But there's, you know, we can get to a Starbucks, one of four Starbucks within five minutes of any direction we want to go to. But recently, we had an opportunity where we owned some land up in the uh, the Georgia mountains, and we, we built a property up there. And it is secluded. It's all the amenities. You know, you have to you, you, know, you have to drive 40 minutes to get to a Starbucks. So you have to give it a lot of thought where you really want that Frappuccino or not. <laughs> but, uh, but when you're up there, it's just the peacefulness of it. And you noticed we were, we were there this past weekend and we hadn't recognized any crows around. And crows are one of my wife's uh, spirit animals, spirit guides, totems, uh, if you follow that. All of a sudden, once we sort of started going up there on a regular basis and quieting down and spending time up there, all of a sudden the crows started appearing. Now, They're so intelligent. They are. They're so intelligent. And, you know, and it, just like my wife, of course. <laughs> 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 Give a plug, uh, but uh, but yeah, you know it, it is true because unless you slow yourself down and quiet yourself, you're not going to be able to get in touch with everything around you. And the best way to do that is get out in nature. So whether we're talking about the the fox hunts, which you do and do so well and, and love, or whether it's me spending time just being in the mountains, not worrying about anything else. It's amazing how much different. And then you start to realize, well, you know what? Having poor phone service and not having a Starbucks nearby, 
may not be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, I think you're right. But whenever you talk to me about this, I always feel compelled because not everybody knows. We don't kill foxes in America. We chase them. I mean, uh, that part, it's not a blood sport anymore. It was, you know, like 20 and 30 years ago. And I think in parts of England, it's still a blood sport, Mm -hmm. but not here. And I'm not picking on the English because their agricultural practices are different. Uh, But in this book, there's a fox that finds a ring. And it's fascinated with it. And in fact, in that respect, they're somewhat like crows. They like shiny things. And uh, years ago, an old fox died, and I knew his den. And, you know, I didn't see him for a year or two, and I thought, well, where the hell is he? So we started looking in the den, and it was filled with toys. He had stolen all the dog toys. Oh, my goodness. I know. They're clever. Yeah, very clever, very uh, intelligent beings. And I'm glad you clarified that. Yes, it's, it, it should be called, like, the fox chase <laughs> yeah, should, really. It's, it's more like it. Well, well in Homeward Hound and the, the rest of the uh, Sister Jane uh, series, I mean, that's the part, I mean, there's so many facets of how you write and what you do that always intrigue me because there's always a hot topic, there's always great research, but there's also these wonderful characters, the, these foxes and these hounds and Sister Jane herself blending the three together. I mean, does that become sort of a natural progression, a natural thing for you to be able to blend all those together? You know, Tim, I was that way as a child. I don't know why. I was able to look at how animals connect, and they were my best friends. I mean, I was, I was raised with four boys. Their mother died, and they would be with us, and then they would be with uh, my aunt. So, And it was fine, but I really, <laughs> it's a terrible thing to say. I like the animals better. <laughs> you know, so those were really my true friends. And I began to understand that they can communicate. They have very sophisticated forms of communication. And, of course, I became utterly fascinated with foxes as a child. They're so beautiful, for one thing, but they're so curious. Well, they're dogs, essentially. It's the canine mind. And I would just watch the stuff they would do, and I would be really quiet and really still. And I was little, so I wasn't frightening, you know. So I got to get pretty close to them. And now, every now and then, I can still get close if I don't have the house dogs with me. But I look at these things, and I think the speed at which their mind works is far greater than ours. And I think that's true of certain birds. The circuitry up there, they're tiny brains, but it's the circuitry. It's not the size of the brain. And I will never know what they know, and I will never know it when they know it. Absolutely. Yeah, and it is fascinating. You mentioned that as well. You know, I'm not a uh, neuroscientist or, uh, you know, I've done a deep study on the animal brain, even though I communicate with them, obviously, and I find each one of them unique. But you compare, like, a a God love our our squirrels. You know, we talk about the mountains again. Uh, We have squirrels everywhere. And and unfortunately, they get a lot of them get in harm's way. And, And you would think, well, it's because they're getting hit by an automobile. Well, sometimes, yes. Other times, it's just they're running willy-nilly, and they slam their head into a tree, or they go head first into a car. The car doesn't actually hit them. They just hit because they're just so excited about everything and got to get their work done that they're not slowing down to concentrate. When you compare it to like a fox or a crow in this situation, I really think they, they're logical. They think things out, you know. and even though they, they have to find their food and they have to survive, they have a lot of logic that goes behind what they're thinking. Well, I think they're rude. <laughs> I have a big oak in, in the back of my house. I mean, it really is huge. And, of course, there's umpteen squirrels up there. And when I come out or the cats come out, they really have a terrible vocabulary of abuse. They scream at us 
and then they throw acorns at us. <laughs> you know, and I look up, I'm like, you know, who raised you? Where's your mother? <laughs> and of course, it makes the cats crazy. Yes. So the cats climb up the tree, and it doesn't do them any good. But I laugh at all these different creatures because they're very funny. I mean, you have raptors, too, where you are. I mean, we've got red-tailed hawks and ospreys and all this kind of stuff. And boy, if you get close to them and they look at you, it's actually quite frightening. Yeah, it takes you off guard, that's for sure. Yeah, we saw a real fun one the other day, which I had no idea that this animal could do this, but we walked out to the uh, the backyard area, which, you know, it's surrounded by like four acres of, uh, of woods uh, all around us. And uh, all of a sudden we hear this unidentified squeal, and we see this brown, chunky little thing scurrying up the tree, screaming his head off. Now, he got, <laughs> he got startled because it was the dogs, but come to find out it was a groundhog. And I've never, oh, no. ever, yeah, I've never seen a groundhog climb a tree, and I thought that that can't be, you know. Hence the name; they're a groundhog, so they should be on the ground. <laughs> but no, apparently when they get startled, they they scurry up a tree or wherever they need to go, like any other animal. All right, well, listen, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll come back and continue our chat with uh, Rita Mae Brown. Talk a little bit more about what should we be expecting in the world today, and and her uh, writing. So everybody, just hang tight. Uh, we'll come back at this commercial break. So you're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Put on a perfectly possum pet party. Having an awesome birthday or adoption day celebration for your four-legged friend? Or just want a fun excuse to throw a fun party with your friends from the dog park? Deck out your party with Molly and Bandit Pet Party Accessories, party products designed specifically for pets. There are wearables, including adjustable pet party hats, bow ties, and tutus. The photoprop kits include funny glasses and hats. The party supplies and decorations include coordinating table covers, party banners, cake decorations, and treat bowls, cups, and bags. Everything you need to create great memories and Instagram-worthy photos. They're available in two colorful themes, Tropical and Fireman. It's a dog's life. Celebrate it with Molly and Bandit Pet Party at mollyandbanditpetparty.com slash petlife. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Continue our conversation with our good friend and New York Times bestselling author, Rita Mae Brown. Now, Rita, when uh, people pick up a copy of Homeward Hound, talk to me about the characters there and some well, of the they, things. You know, we're talking about animals and how they relate to one another. There's two owls that always appear in the fox hunting books. One is Athena. She's a great horned owl. Uh, Bubo Virginius, it's the uh, name of it. Uh, and it and it literally means Virginia owl. And they're about two and a half feet tall. You cannot, I mean, they are huge. And their claws, when they ball them up, are as big as a man's fist. And then there's a little screech owl that's the buddy of the big owl. Now, in real life, it is possible a big owl would kill a little owl. But if there's enough to eat, really not so much. And there's lots to eat with these guys. And the reason... I put them in there. Sometimes when I'm hunting, the owls or the raptors, of course, I can hear the raptors because they have noisy feathers and owls do not. I mean, I have hunted with an owl over my head and not known it. They're so quiet. And the reason they follow is that the hounds have stirred up mice and little things. And then when we pass through, they go down and basically we're like providing them with a supermarket. And that is an intelligent adaption to human behavior. Mm. 
I mean, it's the same thing if you go into a barn that hasn't been cleaned. It's full of cobwebs and spider webs, and of course, everybody wants to clean them, and ultimately, you should. But why are they there? Because the flies are there. There you go. Nothing is wasted in nature. That's one of the things I love about it. And I guess one of the things that distresses me about the human animal, we're so very wasteful. Yes, we are. You know, it's ironic you say that. I must be on, I think I'm on my soapbox tonight, and I love, <laughs> climb on board with me. <laughs> but we were talking about that the other day as well. It's, it's almost like you're, you're reading my mind, Rita Mae. But um, we talked about when we first moved into our, our main house here in Georgia, we had to set up uh, recycling and trash services. And at the time, the company that was servicing our area did not offer recycling. There was not enough money in it, apparently, for them to offer recycling. But in our household, we'll easily have a 65-gallon bin each week of recyclable goods. No where, kidding. Yes, we're trash. It's maybe a quarter of a bag because we just recycle. If, if we can recycle it, we recycle it. And we just don't let things go to waste by just willy-nilly throwing them in the trash. So I actually approached them, said, you know, once they started getting recycling available in our area, I said, well, is there a way I can just buy the recycling? And, you know, because it would take, you know, several weeks for us to have enough trash to really matter. And then I could take it down to the local uh, trash slash recycling center that we have uh, down the road. It costs 25 cents to dump a bag of garbage at their location. That's much easier and much more economical for me. Of course, they didn't want to go for that. That that was not a that was a no go. But yeah, we recycle everything we can. But there, are, you're right. I, I see it even to today. It's uh, most people don't want to go through the hassle. They don't want to go through the fact that hey, can I keep this plastic bottle in my car until I get home to put in a recycling bin or find a recycling bin, uh, or do I just pitch it? And most people just pitch it or throw it on the ground or whatever whatever they do with it. You know, this is when I really want to talk to the people who lived through World War II. I mean, I was born at the end of World War II. I obviously I don't remember a damn thing. Excuse me for swearing, but um, I mean, there are still many people left who who wives, sisters, whatever men who came back, but the people that were here on the home front, there was rationing. They didn't waste anything. And I, I mean, I'm wondering if we did it then, is there a way we could do it now that is not perhaps punishing people, but really trying to say, like they said back then, this helps everybody. Let's do it. Let's pull together. And people did. Yeah. I guess it's my mindset. I'm hoping there's many more of uh, our listeners out there that are like this. Uh, not that they want to think like me, God forbid. But, uh, you know, I just hate getting, you know, if there's things I'm not using or can't use any longer and someone can get some benefit out of them, I try to go out of my way to find benefit. So whether we're talking about recycling or whether we're talking about taking an older HGTV, we'll say I had one of those, a big big screen, 65-incher, but it was the old model. And, of course, I upgraded. Well, I could have paid my $10, took it down to the recycling center, and they would have scrapped it out, and hopefully it got recycled and not shipped over to some foreign country and uh, dumped in their landfills, which we do here in the United States. We'll, we'll take large quantities of our recyclables, uh, electronics in particular, and ship them over to Sudan or somewhere, and they uh, end up at landfills. But in any case, I went out of my way. So I posted it on many social media sites and local sites, etc., saying, does anybody want this? 
because it's perfectly fine. It's HD quality. You know, it's just something I don't no longer need. And sure enough, within five minutes, someone contacted me. They came and they're using it at their house. They they love oh, great. It. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, at least for us, I'll, I'll pat myself on the back for trying to do that. But I think in today's uh, disposable society or, you know, the 10 minute oil change society, <laughs> <laughs> we don't take the time to do that. And that goes back to our, what we were talking about earlier, getting in touch with nature, getting out there and uh, going out into the mountains, going out on the, the fox chases and things of this sort and being part of the animal and wildlife out there. Uh, we just don't do enough of it. While we're talking about fox hunting, because, of course, Homeward Hound is about fox hunting in the pipeline, our opening hunt was on Armistice Day, and we have a great many military people who have served and some are still serving in our hunt, which is true of fox hunting in general. It attracts military people. You know, so I would say a few words before we take off. And people don't think about what happened in England. I mean, my God, they were bombed just about every day, Tim. I have no idea how those people lived through it. And things were difficult here, but nothing like there. But the men, of course, were in the service. I mean, given what they were going through, they, like the South during uh, 1861 to 1865, they were almost totally mobilized, the men. Mm -hmm. And the women stepped up to the plate and saved the foxhound packs. Even though there was rationing, whatever, those women walked the hounds, cleaned the hounds, trained the hounds, got whatever scraps they could and fed them. And I often think about little things like that that we don't think of. Of course, I think of it because I'm passionate about fox hunting. But how people can find ways in difficult times. We're not having difficult times. People who are screaming and hollering about Trump and who, whatever else excites them, you know what, this is not really tough. World War II was tough. World War I was tough. I mean, we have had periods in our history that have just been ruthless and horrible, and, and people truly suffered. We're not really there. We're offended, maybe. We pick our sides and scream about it. But you know what? We're pretty darn well off. Yeah, we are. I think also the toughness, the mental and physical toughness of our previous generations compared to where we're at today is significantly different as well. Well, not for fox hunters. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Trust me on that. We're, we're tough. I mean, we'll go, I'll go out there and sleep. I mean, you know, unless it's high winds or, you know, blinding snow or blinding rain, I'm going. And, you know, I might be out there three or four hours, and, and we're all pretty darn tough. But I see that that's not true, and honest to God, Tim, you know, I'll go sometimes to the supermarket or wherever I have to go. I do it as little as possible. And I see young men whose butts are so big you could show a movie on it. Young men aren't supposed to be like that. No. No, I would agree with you. That's uh, a sign of too much TV and uh, video games, I think, and, and uh, Dunkin' Donuts or some, <laughs> maybe not Dunkin', sorry. <laughs> they may be a sponsor. But well, hey, there's, there's this stuff in the newspapers now, you've probably seen it. It's been in our local paper and it's been in the Wall Street Journal about, you know, the real problem with exercises, your best health, disease prevention, et cetera. And uh, so they had a thing about one in three people over 40 are, they're in great shape. But of the young, it's only one in five. That's a, it's incredible. So, I mean, this push is start early, start now, you know, get in the habit. And it's true. So if, I'm not saying people listening to you have to fox hunt. But you can beagle. You can run behind a pack of beagles. You can run without hounds. Of course, I have to have hounds in front of me, but that's me. But there's a lot of things you can do to keep yourself active. But also, you just you feel great. 
Yeah, because you're, you're staying physically and mentally stimulated and you're doing something you love and you're around animals who are loving what they're doing at the time and loving what they do pretty much all day long, which we need to act more like our, our animals around us for sure. So with Homeward Hound, once someone picks up this book and reads through it, they're going to find a lot of twists and turns, get a little bit of education there, maybe figure out some things they didn't know before. What else do you hope they walk away with? I hope they look at the dedication page. Mm, we'll leave it at that. That'll get somebody, They'll flip to that yeah. immediately. I mean, it's dedicated to a husband and wife who have made a difference to thousands of people in their quiet, wonderful way. And they certainly made a difference in my life. And, I mean, they have a very famous daughter, but it's really them. I mean, not to, not, I don't think the daughter deserves her fame. She certainly does. And I've known her since she was tiny. But people like that, people who are part of the community and just do what they can, I mean, that's what keeps our country together. It's not political parties. You know, those of us who fox hunt, Tim, I have got people to the right of Genghis Khan. I have got people to the left of Pluto. <laughs> Most of us are in the middle. But we're all united by something we love. And then we get back and we're feeling great, you know, running around. I mean, your blood is up. And you can talk openly to one another. And it's interesting how issues that are considered divisive really aren't once you start talking about them. Because the first thing is everybody recognizes there's a problem. So we have that in common. And you start from there. Yeah. I, I think you're spot on about that for sure because, uh, you know, finding that common ground, uh, you know, obviously Pet Life Radio here, we're all pet lovers, all animal lovers, and that's a common ground. And, you know, I'll go back, uh, you know, social media, I, I brought that topic up several times with the latest uh, elections that we just went through, the midterm elections. I look on there and surprisingly, because I probably have never asked or was afraid to ask, but a lot of people I consider my closest friends their viewpoints and how they take a, an approach on attacking definitely don't match up with what my thoughts are and definitely not my approach on life. I, I try to find a nice common ground, a nice gray area, we'll say, a commonality. So to me, it's fascinating because you're right. People get fixated on one or two topics, and if you don't agree with me, then you're my enemy. But you find that commonality, and all of a sudden, okay, well, now we have something in common, and now we can work on our differences or come to a common ground on that, or at least just don't worry about that so much. And it sounds like with the, the fox hunts, the fox chases, that's your commonality. Well, it is, and it's amazing what happens, how people draw together no matter what their political ideas are. And I think in some ways we all moderate one another. And while we're on this, since we just had the midterms, which was a high turnout, which I thought was terrific, mm -hmm. you know what? The media is selling hate and fear. Yes, and it does sell. It's making them millions upon millions. And you just got to walk away from it. And the two parties, I don't really think they care about America. They just care about themselves. And the media is just fanning the flames. And I take the midterms as a good sign because no one's really ahead. We're static in a sense. And to me, I take that as Americans not wanting more time to think. We've got two years to a presidential election. And we're all confused and we're not sure. And I really think we want to think about it. So I don't see it as a win or a loss or anything like that. I see it as a step back and sort of taking a deep breath and saying, you know what, we can't give either one of these parties the baton. No, absolutely. And I agree with you on that. I think the midterms were interesting and exciting. Here in Georgia, we're still going through them. We still don't know who our governor is, so we're trying to figure that out. But uh, it's brought some new approaches, some new ideas, some new blood, some new talent. Fortunately, a lot more women in charge, which is always a plus, in my opinion. But you're right. I think the most exciting part about it is the fact we had record number of people show up to vote 
that shows that they are concerned or at least want their voice heard, which in, in many years past, we haven't had that. So from that standpoint, I think it's it hopefully will keep a nice balance and not put uh, so much uh, one side or the other in charge. And uh, I'm encouraged by, you know, hopefully the next election will have even a greater turnout. So it should be... Uh, yeah, I am too. I mean, I'm excited, but, but I really think Americans are fabulous people. Yes. I mean, we're new. We're so new. I mean, really. Rome, Italy, thousands of years. Japan, thousands of years. What are we, 250 years? If that were, really, I think we're 226 years old. Have we made mistakes? Yeah, but nothing like they have. Of course, they've had more time to make them. <laughs> but what we have achieved, I mean, stop picking on ourselves, try to clean up the messes we've made, and get going. Yes. I mean, there's this fabulous world out there to embrace, to try to help, you know, like the pipeline. What are we going to do about the pipeline? What are we going to do about solar energy and wind energy? They seem like answers, but are they really? I don't know. I mean, the wind kills all the birds, those darn windmills. And I look at that and I say, well, you know, okay, at least it's, quote, clean, unquote. But we've got, we've got big issues, but they tend to be pragmatic in a sense. You know, like, okay, how do you get food on the table? How do you get energy? Those kind of issues. It's not like, well, you know what? We've got submarines off our shore, and they're armed, which right. is what our parents had to deal with. Exactly, exactly. So we could have it a lot worse. So learn from yeah, our past and uh, definitely get involved. So Homeward Hound, everybody pick up a copy of the book. It's another you know, exciting mystery murder. It has some uh, great insight in there, some uh, hot topics uh, that everybody should be aware of. The characters are always genius, as always. So Rita May, another great job done with the book. Everybody go out and pick up a copy of Homeward Hound. You're going to enjoy it thoroughly, and you may even learn something. You never know. <laughs> That's good of you to say. You know, uh, the other thing is Happy Thanksgiving. What a wonderful holiday. It's not commercial. Yeah, yeah, it, exactly. Well, happy Thanksgiving to you, too. We're, it's hard to believe. You know, it's funny when our, I, I'm sure you can agree with me on this, when we were young and our parents were telling us that time flies by and it gets shorter and shorter every day, uh, we kind of scoffed at them. But now I'm seeing that more and more because there's no way that Thanksgiving's a couple <laughs> of weeks off. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where it goes, but if you do, I will go get some and bring it back. Yes, exactly. We need that. Slow it down a little bit because you know, it was just summer uh, just a couple of weeks ago. So, <laughs> Everybody, go out and pick up a copy of the book. It's Homeward Hound, Rita Mae Brown. You're going to love it. It's a great part of the uh, continued series and uh, another super job. And you know, Thanks for joining us tonight you know, on Animal Rights and Pet Life Radio, Rita Mae. Thanks, Tim. And one last thing, if I could ask your listeners to please just send even $5 to their local pet shelter. There you go. We're all for that. We're all involved in rescue. So yeah, go out there and uh, donate a little bit of money, especially coming into the holidays. Donate your time and your talents. Uh, so that's uh, always needed. So good point. Okay. All right. Well, we're coming to the end of the show today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I want to thank our sponsors and producers for making this show possible. If you have any ideas, comments, or people you want to hear from most on the show, you can drop us a line. That's at PetLifeRadio.com. While you're there, check out all the other wonderful shows and hosts on the network. Uh, There's something for everyone. You're going to enjoy it. So that's PetLifeRadio.com. So until next time, write a great article, book, or blog, and who knows? You may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Everybody have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.